Sirius Entertainment. You do a lot of listening in your lifetime. You listen to your doctor, your spouse, and this podcast. It's time you listen to your body. At Novacare Rehabilitation, our expert therapist can help you get rid of your aches and pain to get you back to what you love. Go to Novacare.com to learn more. Welcome back to Return Game. Coach Ramil, presented by Novacare Rehabilitation. I'm your host, Rob Ellis. Coach Ramil had just left his first head coaching gig at Napa Junior College, where he coached the Chiefs to their winningest season in history. His move left his young players sad, but not surprised he was scooped up by Stanford University to be an assistant. The next few years seemed like they would have been a blur for Coach Vermeil, Carroll, and the family, moving from one opportunity to the next. Coach was developing his skills and solidifying his reputation. Coach Vermeil spent two years at Stanford. In his first year, he coached the freshman team and then took over coaching quarterbacks. One of the guys Vermeil coached, Jim Plunkett. Remember that name? Does this guy still have a target on his back in Philly? From Palo Alto, George Allen from the Los Angeles Rams gave Dick his first shot in the NFL. I was hired as the very first special teams coach assigned to coach nothing but special teams. The National Football League is like a small town. You will always run into someone you know. George Allen and Dick Vermeil would meet as rivals in the NFC East. And as for those Rams... This was only the start of that relationship. Coach Vermeil ping-ponged between the Rams, UCLA, Rams, UCLA. The first time I met him, I was an assistant at UCLA with Pepper Rogers, and Dick was an assistant at uh, the Los Angeles Rams. Dick came to our UCLA spring practice to uh, look at our senior players that would be coming out in the draft uh, the next year. And so we got a chance to meet uh, each of the assistant coaches a little bit. Meet Carl Peterson. Carl will be popping up a lot this season. He and Dick worked together for years and was key in luring Coach back to the game after his hiatus. But I am getting ahead of our story. In 1974, Vermeil landed the top spot, head coach of the University of California, Los Angeles Bruins. Carl describes his new boss as... Intense personified the word intense, focused, dedicated, a work ethic second to none. Carl and Dick bonded over their shared love of football and what coaching the game meant to them. Well, football is the essence of uh, teamwork, and that's something I've always admired and like to be involved in building a, a team from scratch, if you will, surrounding yourself with people that are less concerned about who gets the credit and more concerned about uh, how can we accomplish the common goal. In the 1970s, UCLA had a reputation for basketball. In fact, in 1975, legendary coach John Wooden led the Bruins to their 10th NCAA championship. But there was a new coach in town, and even though it was football, UCLA was in for a ride. When Coach started at UCLA, he was under 40. That's young for any head coach. But add to that a program of this caliber, the pressure could be intense. Coach Ramil says he found a way to keep his eye on the football, so to speak. Well, at first, I think like all big 
new experiences. It was a little overwhelming, you know, but John Ralston always said the only way to really learn to become a head coach is be a head coach. All the training in the world, all the assistant work, you don't really start learning what it is until you are one. And I just went to work. In 1974, Randy Cross was a junior and was loving UCLA. I've never, for the life of me, understood why UCLA doesn't every year have a top five type recruiting class. It's the most beautiful place I've ever seen. They're in another school that can even compete with it. So I just loved it. Randy was born in Brooklyn. His dad was a TV actor. So when the TV business moved west to L.A., so did the Crosses. When he started at a new high school, he joined the football team. His dad thought it'd be a great place to make some friends. It turned out he was a natural. By the end of high school, he had a decision to make. My final four group was UCLA, Nebraska, Notre Dame, and Alabama. I had choices. UCLA wasn't very good. And I uh, not only had always wanted to go there, but I also really bought in on the Pepper Rogers, Terry Donahue combo, be the start of something special, which, you know, if any recruits that are out there listening to this by any strange chance, you'll hear that a lot from coaches, especially when they're not very good. Get on the ground floor. You can be part of something pretty cool. He chose UCLA. In his junior year, Coach Vermeil replaced Pepper Rogers the main reason Randy passed on those other schools. He says Coach Vermeil's experience was also a worry. Dick was one of the first solely special teams coaches in NFL history, which, you know, everybody knows that, but, I mean, it's something at the time you can find out you're getting special teams coach. We're hiring a special teams coach as a head coach. Turns out there was enough worry to go around. Randy had his concerns about his new head coach, and Coach Ramil had a nervous eye on the transcript of his All-American player. I'll put it nicely. I had some academic difficulties. So the first meeting I had with Dick Vermeil, I got a note, please come see Coach. I walked in, and as soon as I walked in, I knew I was screwed. Because sitting there across from Dick at his desk was my mom. And he comes in and I shake his hand and I give my mom a hug and kiss. And Dick says, come in, please, and sit down. I sit down. He says, your mom and I were just catching up. I was going to explain what was kind of going on with your academics to your mother, but I'd much rather have you explain how come one of my best players here at UCLA might not be in school very much longer. Go. He kind of looked at me. I looked at my mom and I looked at him and... Oh, thank God, I'm dead. In case you were curious, Randy not only pulled it together academically, he kept playing football for Coach Vermeil and would go on to a very impressive post-UCLA career. John Shira was another junior on the team. He was from Los Angeles. John went to a Catholic high school, so the buzz of campus life at a place like UCLA was quite the change. Well, you know, you go back to the early 70s. That was the whole flower child, peace, love, and Alice Cooper type of scene. And we were wearing bell bottoms and tie-dyed shirts and, you know, longer hair and flip-flops. And I went on the campus, I was just like, wow, this is a lot going on here. Real eye-opener and an incredible experience. John was at UCLA for football and was ready to work. He had experienced the grind of competitive football 
but Coach Vermeil's first season with the Bruins was unlike anything John Shira had experienced in his football life. He worked us extremely, extremely hard. <laughs> and his whole thing was, you're going to be stronger, you're going to be faster, you're going to be in better condition. You know, smarter and in better condition were two important factors there. Even Randy who had been worried that this special teams coach was going to struggle to live up to his expectations, changed his tune. But it didn't take long to first meetings and seeing Dick and see what a passion he had for football. And you would learn pretty fast what a passion he had for the people that played for him. During those early years, Randy learned something unexpected about Coach Richard A. Vermeil. I'll never forget the first training camp with him his first year, he calls us all into a meeting after what it seemed like about a month of double days. And he stands up on his table in the dorm in the middle of the room and he starts to talk, but he only gets about two sentences in. He starts crying and he's trying to tell us he's going to end double days, but he's also trying to tell us he doesn't want to end double days because we need as much work as we can get. So that makes him even cry more. Then he starts talking about how much he loves this, and that makes him even cry more. And at that point, I'd never seen a head coach cry in front of a team. Yes, the man's emotional, and he's shown countless men that it's okay to feel their feelings. My junior year, when Dick Vermeil first got there, we weren't very good. It's true. Coach Vermeil's first season was a mixed bag. There were some memorable losses and painful injuries. I broke my leg up at Cal my junior year during the seventh game of the year. And then the guy that backed me up, he sprained his ankle later in that game. So we had a freshman that was going up to Washington. And that's like the hardest place to play in the Pac-12. And we got smoked. And the team didn't finish the season the way they wanted. In the final game, they lost a crosstown rival, the University of Southern California. My junior year, we just hadn't learned how to really win. His second year, it's much different. Moving into my senior year, we had a really good team. That staff was pretty legendary, full of guys that were, would go on to be great head coaches, but also some career amazing assistant coaches. They were really, really good teachers that could relate, and they could all recruit their butts off. So. He chose wisely. He chose really well. It will be those recruits, along with Randy and John and other members of the UCLA football team, who will help propel UCLA and Coach Ramil onto the national stage. The year was 1975. Jimmy Hoffa had disappeared. Saturday Night Live debuted and Bruce Springsteen released Born to Run. Man, what a year. It was Coach Vermeil's sophomore year at UCLA. John Shira and Randy Cross were both returning seniors. I was feeling pretty good. Like Randy said, the UCLA coaching staff were solid recruiters. And Coach has always had a knack for spotting talent. He knew he wanted Jerry Robinson, a converted basketball player from San Francisco, to join the squad. For Jerry a 6'2 high school tight end, choosing UCLA was a family decision. The first time I met him, 
was at, in Santa Rosa when he came uh, for the recruitment. You know, my mother and father, and we all met Coach Ramil. And I remember when he left the house, I remember my mom saying, Pumpkin, because she always called me Pumpkin. She said, Pumpkin. I like that man a lot. She said, he is the most honest man to come into this house. He didn't offer you this. He didn't offer you the world. He didn't offer you cars. He didn't offer you apartments, whatever. He said, he's going to offer you an opportunity, a fair opportunity to play. Well, Pumpkin chose UCLA. UCLA faced off against the Iowa State Cyclones in their season opener. The Bruins won 37-21, and the season was underway. By October, their record was 2-0-1, the tie coming against a very good Air Force team. Then it was on to the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum for a matchup against the number two-ranked Ohio State Buckeyes. Tonight, a pair of unbeatens square off top-ranked Buckeyes of Ohio State against the UCLA Bruins. This ABC Sports Exclusive. Even with the home field advantage, Coach Ramil's Bruins just couldn't compete. The Buckeyes had so much talent. Archie Griffin, Cornelius Green, Pete Johnson. Oh, it was a boat race. They spanked us. They had all sorts of talent. They were one of the best defenses in the country. Woody Hayes was the height of his powers at that point. I need to interrupt Randy Cross for a minute to give Woody Hayes his due. He coached Ohio State to five national championships, 10 Big Ten championships. We anticipated that UCLA would move the ball against Ohio State. The question was, could they stop them defensively? So while Randy and his teammates were outmatched, the loss was still tough. So, no, it was embarrassing, to put it lightly. But, you know, the the year wouldn't have turned out the way it did if we hadn't had that sort of lesson early from Ohio State. But it was ugly. The only player who had a good day was freshman Jerry Robinson. What I remember from the game was, I caught a pass. I caught a pass against the Ohio State Buckeyes. Jarrah back to throw. It's a pass off to the sidelines, and the pass is complete to Jerry Robinson. And I remember going back that uh, Sunday when we had film study. You know, I was excited to see that pass that I caught. And so we're in our wide receiver meeting with Carl Peterson and I catch this pass and Carl says to me, Hey Jerry, you know, you ran the wrong pattern. (laughs) As time is gone. And so the Ohio State Buckeyes come West, play on grass and play at night. Meet the UCLA Bruins 41 to 20. After that victory, Ohio State became the number one ranked team in the nation a position they would hold for the rest of the regular season. Coach Ramil helped the Bruins recover and regroup with a singular focus. Work harder, work longer, you know, that type of thing. And so, you know, I think that he reinforced the fact that despite getting beat like that, we still had that goal sitting there of playing in the Rose Bowl. And that's, that's what we focused on. The team lost one more game that season against Washington. Then, on November 28, 1975, UCLA played USC in front of 81,000 fans. The Bruins needed this win if they wanted to secure a spot in the Rose Bowl. Well, they did it. They eked out a 25-22 win. They were headed to Pasadena for the big game, which was scheduled for January 1st, 1976. 
We were uh, going into the Rose Bowl, the uh, biggest underdog, I think, in the history of the Rose Bowl, 100 years of, of Rose Bowl games. And guess who Coach Ramil's team was destined to play? None other than the Ohio State Buckeyes. The regular season wrapped at the end of November. That left four weeks for Coach Ramil's team to relax, recover from the exhausting season, head home for an extended break with their families, fill up on holiday food and drink. But this is Coach Ramil we're talking about. The message John Shira got was not so fast on the relaxing. We're going to go back to double days. We're going to light it up. We're not going to be denied. We're, we're going to practice our butts off for this win. But we're thinking, gee whiz, we just won the right to go and we want to have some fun. Fun, like beauty, does seem to be in the eye of the beholder. I told the kids, listen, we're going to have a lot of fun going to the Rose Bowl. Well, they thought that meant physically we we're going to have a lot of fun. So they only give you 15 days of practice. So we said, well, 15 days. They didn't say how many times you could practice a day. There was no limit there. So we started double practices, like training camp. The players somewhat misinterpreted that. Uh, Dick's orientation was we are going to prepare better and longer and harder than anyone has ever prepared for the Rose Bowl. So we actually had a strike. Yep, you heard Carl Peterson correctly. The players got organized. Here's Jerry Robinson. We worked harder than we did during the regular season. Matter of fact, we worked so hard that guys wanted to boycott. We wanted to boycott practice because we felt we would just beat each other up and we're working hard. You know, these three and a half hour, three hours, 45 minute practices was just killing us. So we had a representative from freshman, sophomore, junior, and a couple seniors go up to Coach Mill's office because that day at practice, we were not going to go to practice. We were going to boycott. And up to this point in the season, the committee approach had been pretty effective. At one point, the team wanted a jukebox for the locker room, so they asked Coach Ramil for one. Soon after that request, one was delivered. Would reasoning with Coach work again? John Shira was a captain and one of the representatives from the senior class. He was pressed into service by his disgruntled teammates. John walked into Coach Ramil's office. He and his reps confidently pleaded their case then waited. And then it's quiet. He didn't say anything. And he turns his back to us. And then he quickly turns around and slams his hand on the desk. And I I thought it was going to break the glass that covered his desk. And he goes, well, I'll tell you what I think. I think all of you should get your butts out of my office right now and get down that locker room and get on the field because I'm not going to go on national television and embarrass this university because we're not prepared, okay? And if you don't want to do it, I'll walk up to Bruin Walk and I'll start recruiting students that want to play. Back in the locker room, Jerry and the rest of the team were waiting nervously for what they hoped would be good news. And the teammates, they walk in and they just had a look on their face. And we said, well, so what, what's going on? What are we going to be doing? They said, well, Coach Neil is going to be down to talk to us in a few minutes. So we're like, yeah, man, we got it done. Coach Neil walks into the locker room, cool hand look, just cool, no expression on his face. And he says, you know, I hear you guys are concerned and you complain about 
uh, that we're working way too hard. When we on Christmas break, we should be enjoying this, this Rose Bowl trip here. Jerry thought they did it. The committee convinced Coach Vermeil to take it easy on us. What a relief. And then like a light switch, whoop, switch went on. And he lit into us, really. You guys are crying about practicing too hard for the Rose Bowl. He said, there are people that would die to have this opportunity to play in the Rose Bowl. And you guys are crying and complaining about we're practicing too hard, this and that. You know, I'm leaving a a couple of choice words out of that. But just imagine how that whole thing went because he went ballistic. And then he calmed back down again. Then as only Coach Ramil would do, he said, I will try to do something about these long practices. We go out on the practice field that same day. Instead of three and a half hours, it was like three hours and 15 minutes. <laughs> this was just another example of his coaching philosophy on preparation. Remember his welcome letter for his players at Napa Junior College, where he wrote about the rigorous practices? Would this preparation pay off? The Rose Bowl is the granddaddy of them all. The granddaddy of them all. The granddaddy bowl of them all. It is also the oldest bowl game. The first one was played on January 1st, 1902. During the week ahead of the game, there's a lot of hoopla. They have the beef bowl where both teams go and they compete, see who can eat the most prime rib in one sitting. That's a lot of fun. The Lowry's Beef Bowl had been a Rose Bowl tradition since 1956. That year, the Bruins lost to the Buckeyes in the Beef Bowl. There's also a trip to the happiest place on earth, unless you are Coach Vermeil's team. Both teams went to Disneyland. Uh, Dick Vermeil decided that we were all going to wear those blazers and turtlenecks and slacks. So we would have, we'd have a team look. We all hated it beyond description. Let's pause to picture the UCLA football team in their 1975 fashions wandering around Disneyland. This moment might be the most contentious of Coach Dick Vermeil's career. Adding to the frustration? Ohio State's all in jeans and leather jackets and motorcycle boots. And if they're not in that, they're in tennis shoes. What does Coach have to say about this one moment of controversy? I wanted our kids to go there looking first class, looking sharp, looking like they already won the game. To me, that was all part of them showing what they're all about. Some of them bitched and moaned a little better, but, you know, a lot of them took pride in looking nice with a blue blazer and a white turtleneck and in the hot weather and all that kind of stuff. We really looked nice. In a team meeting before the game, the Vermeil motivation machine was in full effect. Getting his guys focused comes so naturally. I made each best player in a position stand up and I asked him, have you played your best game yet? Do you think you have played the best game of football you've ever played yet? Not one of them said they had. So I said, that's great because collectively, we're all going to play our best game on the same day because that's the only way we can beat this football team. On game day, January 1st, 1976, there was a lot of pomp and circumstance. The flower and float-filled Rose Parade is the opening act for the game. It all reaches the apex in the Rose Bowl Stadium in Pasadena, California. 
And we have the usual 106,000 here for UCLA, big underdogs, a chance for a tremendous upset in Rose Bowl history. Going in, Randy knew the Bruins were in for a fight. They had been bested by the Buckeyes back in October. But this was a new year, right? Ohio State was the best team in the country, easily. They were number one, and we were like, if I remember right, we were ended up being like number 10 or 11 or 9, something like that, by the end of the season. Woody Hayes was an absolutely legendary um, head coach back then. Even the coaches were starstruck. A number of us, including myself, before the game started, were out on the field during the pregame, and here was Woody Hayes and would run over with an instamatic camera and say, Coach Hayes, could I get a picture with you here in the Rose Bowl? And uh, many of us had our pictures taken with, with Coach Hayes because he was such a legendary person and a figure. But off the field? It was just an unbelievable moment of being in that locker room because I knew we had worked extremely hard and we were going against the best team in college football. And... We were ready. We know that Coach Ramil is an emotional man, and this was a huge pregame moment, the biggest of his career. Surely, he must have shed some tears giving his guys a final send-off. I do not recall him crying. He saved that for later, after the game. The bigger the moment, the calmer Dick gets. And I imagine his guys in Philadelphia saw the same thing, and Kansas City, and, and St. Louis. He just calmed and I think by sort of by proxy he calmed down the whole team by being that way you know I don't care which one of these big bowl games you're playing in you don't need much motivation you don't need a reason to get excited you know you're you're almost looking for a reason not to lose your flipping mind because you're about going crazy in anticipation for this 62nd Rose Bowl Ohio State was favored by 15 and a half points there were 105,000 people in the stands. Coming out of that tunnel and looking up and seeing Ohio State's red and UCLA's blue was spectacular. I mean, there was people everywhere. There were people on the sideline. It was packed. And uh, it was just a, an incredible day all the way around. Running on the field really is secondary. Randy says it is kickoff where all hell breaks loose. Randy Willis is back at the goal line. And here we go, the 62nd Rose Bowl game. There's nothing compared to what it is once the game starts. And you go out there, and it looked like there were 207,000 in that stadium. You got the TV cameras, and back in those days, the sidelines were full. The alums were everywhere. The crowds were crazy. You had both bands, both cheerleading groups. To me, that Rose Bowl game is always just a definition of what college football is all about. This was it. The moment. Ohio State scored first, but it was only a field goal. Fastnagel spots it. The kick is up. It's got the distance. And the kick is good. A 43-yard field goal by Tom Flavin. And Ohio State's out in front. 3-0. Was Randy nervous? Uh, we were a different team. And early, early on, maybe it would have affected us, but not by the time that team got to where it was. We were very, very confident in our abilities. Heading into the second quarter, 
neither team put up any points as the clock ticked down to halftime. Could the Bruins destroy the Buckeyes' perfect season? The Bruins came out of the halftime locker room firing. UCLA began the scoring with a field goal. John Shira then hooked up with Wally Henry, two future Eagles, by the way, for a 16-yard TD strike. Shira will put it up. There it is. The duo connected again on a 67-yard touchdown throw. There's Henry. He's going. He's at the 30. 20. He's gone. Wally Henry, the second touchdown. UCLA was not done. This time, Wendell Tyler took an option pitch from Shira and scampered 54 yards to the house for a touchdown. Second down, two. Off to Tyler. 45-40. Tyler's out. What's happening on the field is exciting, but another one for the football history books moments is going down on the sidelines. Woody Hayes just started walking across the field to shake hands with Dick, and the, and the clock wasn't done. And I remember Dick turning around, looking at his guys like, what's he doing? And I think one of the assistant coaches, I remember kind of pushing him and going, Dick, go shake his hand, get it over with. <laughs> he walks out there, and the clock's still going. That was something that I always remember. There's Woody. He's, He's starting the across the field to Dick Vermeil to shake hands with him and tell him, young man, you really did a great job getting this team ready today. The old master going over to young Dick Vermeil. It's got to be the first time that they've the done it before the game is over. I see Woody Hayes walking across the field. I said, oh, my God, here comes Woody Hayes, you know. And he got up to me and he grabbed me and he gave me a hug and he whispered in my ear. He said, fine job of coaching, young man. Congratulations. And turned around and walked off. I have never forgotten that. Jerry was watching the clock and his coach. This was a pretty big day for a freshman. The seconds are ticking down and I'm like, oh my God, we are going to win the Rose Bowl. We will be Rose Bowl champions. I remember looking at Coach Vermeil because I knew what it meant to him. And to see the joy on his face, you know, and the tears and, and, and that whole thing, it all came together. The closest thing that I could relate to that locker room in the Rose Bowl against Ohio State was when we beat the Dallas Cowboys in the conference championship to go to the Super Bowl. Too soon, Jerry, too soon. But I love where your head is at. And yes, that seems like the perfect analogy. There it is. Down to two, Woody Hayes, undefeated. Glory dreams of a national title. Blown up on it today by an inspired UCLA team, a 15-point underdog who won going away. Final score was 23-10 UCLA. What it showed us is that that hard work pays off. That hard work paid off, and hard work does pay off. That's all he knew was working hard and making sure all the I's were dotted and the T's were crossed because uh, this was a big opportunity for UCLA because it had been decades since they'd been in a Rose Bowl. Well, as it should be in, in any big bowl game like that, half the stadium is just crushed and the other half's in euphoric. 
and we were on the right side of that one. We were experiencing the euphoria, not the uh, being crushed. That's my memory. That and just looking for, at 21 years old, where was the party at that point? <laughs> but we found that out pretty fast. After his senior year, Randy Cross was drafted by the San Francisco 49ers. He played for them from 1976 through 1988 and won three Super Bowls. Yeah, the first one, okay, I just got a note. Congratulations from him and Carol, which was really special. And what about Jerry Robinson and John Shira? What became of them? Well, if you know your Eagles history, you already know. But they'll be back. And what about Coach Vermeil? What became of him after this historic upset? Remember, he'd stopped the Buckeyes from completing an undefeated season. He brought together a team that was outmatched by Ohio State's talent. Who in the country wouldn't want this level of coaching for their struggling team? Across town at the plush Beverly Hills Hotel were Leonard Toast, the owner of the Philadelphia Eagles, and general manager Jim Murray. These men were in town interviewing candidates to become the Eagles' new head coach. But they were finding it difficult to focus on the job at hand. Instead, they were glued to the television. I remember we were there and uh, we were watching the uh, Rose Bowl. And all at once, here comes this movie star kid, young guy, Dick Vermeil, upsetting Woody the Big, you know. I said, I want to call this guy. So I called Dick Vermeil. Dick, Jim Murray, Philadelphia Eagles were out here to interview some guys for the Eagles job. And uh, he was very crisp. <laughs> uh, thanks, Jimmy. I hope you do good, but uh, no thanks. Next time on Return Game, Coach Vermeil, presented by Novacare Rehabilitation. You think you may know the full story of Coach Vermeil's arrival to the city of brotherly love, but there are sure to be some surprises. You'll hear about the ups and downs of taking over the worst franchise in the NFL and how that Dick Vermeil sparkle transformed a struggling team and city. I'm Rob Ellis. Thanks for listening. You do a lot of listening in your lifetime. You listen to your doctor, your spouse, and this podcast. It's time you listen to your body. At Novacare Rehabilitation, our expert therapist can help you get rid of your aches and pain to get you back to what you love. Go to novacare.com to learn more.